0: Welcome to the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast. I'm Greg Drevenstead, Editor-in-Chief at Rider Magazine. Our guest today is Eric Trow. Eric and I both started working at Rider in 2008, back when I was a very green road test editor. Eric writes the Riding Well column, as well as safety tips and special features. Eric is a gifted writer and a great storyteller, and his columns and features are very popular with readers. Eric Trow is a lifelong motorcyclist, a renowned motorcycling proficiency expert, and a recipient of the AMA Outstanding Road Rider Award. He developed the modern stay and safe method of advanced rider training, and stay and safe training tours are available through Moto Mark One. In this episode, I talk with Eric about his background in motorcycle skills training and how he got involved with Rider Magazine. He shares the backstory on two of his popular features published in Rider, Chasing Gene in Washi and Parker Discovers America. And we learn what motorcycles Eric has in his garage, from his grandfather's 1953 indian chief to his newly acquired honda trail 90. eric and i had a great conversation and i hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did recording it if you want to get eric's columns and all the great content in writer magazine in your mailbox every month go to ridermagazine.com and subscribe
1: eric welcome to the show hey great to be here greg
0: Is I often do these podcasts with people that I've not met before and I'm kind of getting to know them during the interview, but uh, you've had and I've had a chance to meet a couple times in person then of course we've communicated many times over the phone and email and stuff so but it's good to see your face on this video call the podcast of course is just audio but uh, we're both sporting our beards and uh, you're Mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania and I'm in California.
1: Exactly. Folks, if you can see the beard that he has. I mean, it's just an incredible full beard. So I'm, I'm <laughs> envious.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've taken to saying that I've gone kind of fully wooly. I got sort of lazy and uh, I'm just letting it go. So uh, what some people may not realize that like like we've been doing this podcast for a while. You did one of the first episodes back when Mark Tuttle was still editor and really sort of kicked mm-hmm. off the the podcast. But you and I both have been working with Writer Magazine about the same amount of time. I started as a staffer back in March of 2008. I was green, didn't know anything, had no industry experience, um, and had a lot to learn. And I learned a lot from Mark Tuttle and from some other folks. But you started writing your column, Writing Well, which still is in every issue of Writer Magazine, but you started that the Step September of 2008 issue. So how did you get involved with Writer?
1: Well, uh- that started with uh, really through Larry Grodsky, and of course, who, who was the predecessor and wrote the Stay and Safe column in Rider for many years. And Larry's a Pittsburgh guy. I'm a Pittsburgh guy. And uh, we had both been in the motorcycle training business in the Pittsburgh area. And uh, I got to know Larry very well. In fact, what's kind of uh, the. <laughs> My relationship with him—he was somebody that I guess folks were who knew both of us were saying, "Hey, you guys should know each other." Larry was looking for some help with some of his on-road training tours, and I was working with the uh, the MSF program and the parking lots. And and uh, uh, so when I was introduced to him, I thought the idea of helping him out was, "You mean I don't have to stand in the middle of a parking lot watching other people ride motorcycles?" Wow, that's that's cool. Um, but anyway, through all of that um, got to know Larry very well. And I'm a writer by trade had already been. And, uh, uh, the unfortunate thing, as we all know, you know, Larry passed and, uh, and then there was a, a void in the magazine that Mark, after a period of time felt that there was a, a, uh, a need to, to fill it. And, uh, I was really honored to be approached to, to fill that. And, uh, so that's kind of how all that started. It didn't start in the, in the way you'd want it to start, but, sure. uh, Uh, but it's, it's been a great ride.
0: I I never had the opportunity to meet Larry. Uh, You know, he had passed before I started working at the magazine before my time. I've read uh, quite a bit of his stuff in, you know, previously published in the magazine. Mm -hmm. And he's one of those people that just had, I know he um, readers loved him. They just like, they love Clement Salvadori. He just had a a way with words and to write a column about uh, safety, which is the way that you picked up the mantle in a similar way, which is, it's not really about diagrams and sort of the the sort of like almost like a textbook approach to yeah. uh, writing but you know um, it's it's more of philosophy and um, ways in which you tell stories that can people can relate to them and then there's kind of a moral to the story there maybe is a lesson to be learned and so forth and mm-hmm. so Uh, It's been, a, you know, like I said, he was a great part of the magazine. You've been obviously a great part of the magazine as well. So, yeah, it's uh, been a pleasure to to uh, get to know you and and your your writing over the years. So,
1: Well, thanks. Thanks very much. And it's been uh, and I have to say it's been really cool to in recent months um, to really free up, be able to free up the style and uh, um, tell stories the way that I really like to be able to tell stories. And if there's a lesson in it, then great. Um, you know, for years that it was the, the first years, it was, I'm a, I'm a big believer of people. At least I know I learned things by comparing it to other things that I'm already familiar with. So if you want to teach an unfamiliar concept, tie it to something familiar. So a lot of times that's borrowing on life. Well, now what's great is just being able to, to convey stories that people hopefully can relate to. And um, uh, that it's been, it's been fantastic to get some of the feedback and be able to correspond with some of the, the, the readers. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you, I'm sure you run into this as well. We put stuff out there and then, and then you hope it it resonates, you know? Uh, yeah, it's a little scary. I think if I thought about it
0: too much, I, you know, that would probably spook (laughs) me. So I, I often don't, I'm not really writing for an audience or as much as I know that people are going to read it, but, uh, yeah, you never really know what's going to fall with people. Um, you know, there was, Again, like over the years, Ryder has had the, the the great fortune to have some um, just really excellent writers, whether they were columnists, people like yourself or, or uh, Larry or um, Clement Salvadori, uh, Grace Butcher. Uh, there was various mm-hmm. people over the years that have really written stuff that really resonated with people. Um, and then of course, there have been staffers over the years and lots of folks. And then of course, contributors, uh, you know, um, Melissa Holbrook Pearson, who everybody knows her book, uh, The Perfect Vehicle, and and some of her other books, um, you know, she wrote an essay in Ryder in 1992. That was five years before her book was published. It was this kind of long-form essay, and and, um, and, and the July issue that we just finished, that'll be coming out in a few weeks, um, we have an essay of hers called Connected, which is really about her going on the slimy crud run that's uh in wisconsin a couple times a year it's made pretty famous by peter egan mm-hmm. and she's got this kind of really interesting uh personal you know essay about it and so yeah to bring you know uh, additional voices into the in the magazine where it's not i mean people want to read about motorcycles they want to we have mm-hmm. motorcycle tests we have travel stories that's our kind of bread and butter or meat and potatoes but you know really what makes a publication i think um rich and, and, and really draws people in is, it's the columns, it's the, the features, you know, I know you've written a couple of features as well that have really resonated with people. And, you know, that's what we really hope to bring to readers because we're really trying to distinguish ourselves from Instagram and Facebook and websites and stuff where it's just, it's, it's almost like a news, it is a news feed, and it's just, it's almost like just this constant stream of, of noise and pictures and things like that, but where people can have the physical magazine, sit down with it and enjoy it.
1: Oh, absolutely, and and kudos to you, man. I really do believe, and you and I have talked about this, and it's just I really love what's happening here with the with the publication because it's to me we're really capturing um, why we all love motorcycling, the passion that we have. It's not the it's not always around the mechanics of the motorcycle and and right. uh, the aesthetic appeal or anything like that. That's a part of it. But it's there are so many uh, reasons that we all ride, and it's I think that's coming to life. I just love the stories that that I'm reading every month, uh, and it's just really cool to be a part of that.
0: I mean, I we're lucky that we work for magazine, a magazine that is still mm-hmm. in print. I mean, you know, is there are a few others that are still out there, but major names. I mean, Cycle World, yeah. uh, Motorcyclist, um, uh, Motorcycle Consumer News. You know, ones that I always subscribe to, look forward to reading every month. I got to know people that worked at those magazines. I look forward to reading their reviews and comparisons and stories and so forth. And they may still exist in some form online, but that's generally not how I want to consume most of my motorcycle media. I just, I really do enjoy a a, a physical magazine. I spend so many hours of my day on it like you and so many other people on my computer and I create the content, but I much prefer... The professional layouts, our art director Chad does a great job. Mm-hmm. We work, we're really fortunate to work with Kevin Wing on you know almost oh, yeah. every That's issue. Awesome. He just, I mean, we've got these fantastic covers he's been doing, and he sort of set a high bar early on. I was like, hey, let's kind of go back because Ryder used to do those sorts of you know scenic covers mm-hmm. that really don't have a lot of um text on the cover, and it's really I- sort of being an inspirational thing. As soon as you see it, you're like, I want to be there, I want to be on yep. that road, I want to be on that motorcycle, I want to have that experience but a lot of readers won't. They won't ride that particular motorcycle. They won't be on that particular road. So the idea is, of course, is, you know, with the writing and the photography and the stories and so forth is to inspire people. And it's, it's inspirational and aspirational, so.
1: Yeah, well, you know what's cool is I think what's captured when, when you talk about the covers and a lot of the photography that's inside, but the covers in particular, that's, uh, that connects with me in a way of those are the things i when i look at the covers i say that's what i dreamt of as a kid that's the you know i just wanted to be the idea of traveling to get out there and how magical that was right to be on two wheels and do it even though i you know i really didn't have the opportunity to go all that far as as a little kid other than as a passenger with my dad to the, to the store or something but uh, yeah. Um, yeah that was just so yeah I th- I, that brings it back to me every time i see see a cover of, uh, or that type of photography
0: well, so speaking of that, you're talking about as a kid. I know you come from a motorcycling family. Your dad rode motorcycles. Uh, your grandfather raced back in the early decades of the 20th century, and even owned an Indian agency, as they used to call dealerships. <laughs> right. So, tell us a little bit like what it was like to grow up uh, around motorcycles. Because I, my dad had a motorcycle when I was a kid, but he didn't ride it that much, and it was mm-hmm. I didn't learn to ride until I was in my 20s. But I mean, you kind of you were steeped in that.
1: Yeah, that was. Um... It was a really, I feel like I was really fortunate to grow up in that environment. I mean, my grandfather uh, now, by the way, yes, my dad rode and was an avid rider. Um, uh, it's uh, that when we talk about Gene, my grandfather, uh, that's actually my mother's father. And um, he was uh, it was a rural dealership in, in um, southwestern Pennsylvania, Um Near a little town uh, called Uniontown, Uniontown and Brownsville it was kind of right in between. And he had been a dealer from about 1926 all the way up through the, well, really through the mid 70s, I'd say. Uh, and then he uh, sold out and just kind of would putter over there and everything. But I mean, that's where I spent my summers. Uh, that was, you know, my earliest memories are of. My family would go up there and I just remember, <laughs> I, I distinctly remember my dad and my, my brother who's five years older than I am. And then me, all three of us stacked on like an old Honda Trail 55 or whatever it was and riding around the, the yard uh, and through the tall grass. There were a couple acres at the house. And then in that, the house, by the way, was across the street from the, the, the shop. And then there was another seven acres behind the shop of, of wooded area. And so it was a great place to ride what I used to do is, I mean, I loved hanging out there uh, anytime I could and just listening to all and looking at all the different motorcycles that came in. By the time I was around, it was, it was Hondas and uh, uh, he sold BSA and um, there were Triumphs. And, and of course, there were the Indians that were still kind of left over all of his buddies and everything. He was an Indian man all the way through. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's kind of funny, I think, back to when my, bro- my brother and I, we watched and listened to these and we're so fascinated with these motorcycles and motorcyclists that we actually got to be really, really good at imitating the sounds of the bikes, you know, (laughs) and, and, you know, here's, here's what a, what a BSA 650 sounds like. And, and here's the, you know, here's what a Honda 750 four sounds like. And we would do that and run around the yard with our arms outstretched and our tongues hanging out, making motor sounds, uh, (laughs) you know, pretending we were riding. Uh, which was really silly for him because he was five years older than, uh, you know, it was okay for me when I was (laughs) little, but um, anyway, and then, so we would, yeah, I would spend my summers at the shop and uh, while all, you know, later on when all my friends were going to summer camp and playing baseball and all that sort of thing, I would go and, and hang out at the shop. I swept floors, you know, worked there, watched and learned how to turn wrenches and I was allowed to ride any trade-in that could come in that I could swing a leg or leg over and, and still touch the ground, and if I was able to start start it, and just about everything was kickstart, yeah, um, then I was permitted to ride it with a couple exceptions. And uh, so That's I got cool. really, yeah, I got really good at riding, but I really sucked at baseball. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, uh,
0: you wrote a feature that was in the February issue of of Rider uh, yeah. called "Chasing Gene and Wattsy." I want to go into that a little bit, but. And I think it was in one or two of your columns you talked about, um, uh, you know, when you were at the shop when you were a kid, there was, like you said, your your dad used to hang out with guys that he used to race with. They used to ride together and you basically kind of had these old timers sitting around telling stories. And I mean, that just must have been just a great place to just sit around as a little kid and just absorb that like a sponge.
1: Greg, Greg that made it such a cool thing. I mean, it just, you know. Uh to hear, you know, a lot of people, I guess, would look, just see these guys in some other setting and just say, oh, you know, these are some old guys. What was so cool, though, is it was so dynamic to sit and listen to these guys tell these stories. Now, I'm sure they were embellished over the years too, you know, especially when I think back on some of the stuff that they described. I'm sure those stories got a little bigger than life over time. <laughs> but I just remember the, 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 the laughter and the, the the ribbing that they would do i mean you know my grandfather was an indian man and, and it's not like i mean there was a friendly rivalry uh but they were always talking about the indian versus the harley boys and all that kind of stuff and and although they i mean even even my grandfather sold um harley for a little while too um but these guys would tell tales of uh, in fact in that story there's some talk about when we took the ride um down to winchester speedway and we went um, outside of Uniontown, uh, there's the ride up Route 40 uh, to Summit Mountain, the ride up Summit Mountain. And that was the road that I always heard about, um, that those guys would, that was their neighborhood mean, really kind of racetrack. Right, uh, that's right. where they would, they would check to see, you know, they would, they would see how much, uh, as they put it, how much soup their bikes had, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to go up the hill and And I just remember hearing about, you know, a couple of the guys like leaning over so far that they were levering the the rear tires off the, uh, you know, off the pavement and trying to, you know, it it was really kind of wild to hear all that stuff. Um, And my grandfather was a master storyteller. He was just, I wish I had that gift. He was just so incredible. And you know how when somebody's telling a story and they start laughing as they're recalling it, as they tell the story, it's just so infectious. And that's the way that was. Right. Uh, and even though they would tell a lot of the same stories over and over again, I would still prompt them to tell the stories just so I could hear that.
0: Um, well, they, it's interesting, those, you know, folks, especially good storytellers, but people, they get enjoyment out of telling the story. They like telling it over and over. I mean, good storytellers, you refine it over time. You add, embellish, you do whatever. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like it's it's uh, it's not a, just a line by line accounting. If we did this and we did that. But right. So so, so yeah. when you like so you're you're this. Refer to this feature: Chasing Gene and Washi. So, Gene is your grandfather, uh, Gene Townsend, and Washi is um, Floyd Washi. Floyd Washabaw. Washabaw. And you, so and they, so they were buddies. They raced together. They hung Mm -hmm. out together. They rode and they they had a club, uh, didn't they?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Gene Scouts Motorcycle Club. It was an AMA club, and and they actually sanctioned uh, some racing events. They actually had a TT track down a couple miles from the shop uh, on my grandfather's family property down there. And, uh, but they, you know, it was also a social club and riding club, uh, that they would, uh, you know, they would organize rides and, and that sort of thing, which made sense with the shop and everything too. Um, and, uh, so Jean and Washi both were active. They were flat track racers, you know, they were, that was, you know, and I would assume that just about everybody now, fortunately, flat tracks making a comeback, uh, which is so great to see. Um, but, you know, that's the that's the half mile dirt track, kind of like you'd see the well, a lot of them were horse tracks and, um, you know, and then the stock car tracks. Um, and uh, so those guys both did it. My grandfather was a bit older than Washi was, but um, uh, they um, and, and Gene Scouts actually sponsored Washi when he turned pro for a year. He was an AMA pro racer uh, on the flat track circuit, too. And, uh, so yeah, there was, uh, that was really, really a cool thing. And of course that was, you know, a lot of the stories that we heard too. I used to hear about them running down to, uh, you know, they'd all ride to the tracks. Um, occasionally somebody would stuff a motorcycle into the back of a, uh, of a truck or even better in the back of a sedan or something, um, and take it down to the track, take the fenders off, take the headlight off and, right. and run them. And then hopefully they had something that they could ride back home when it would, they were done. Um, and uh, so, I mean, that was always something that I had connected with. And then uh, I imagine what you're probably going to ask is how in the world did this story come about? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was at um, Williams Grove for the uh, flat track races um, just a handful of years ago and uh, was introduced to um, Ron Washabaw, who is uh, Washi's grandson. So similar situation to mine with Gene and he and I started talking and learned that we both just had still this incredible passion for motorcycles, for Indian motorcycles, for racing, and just had this incredible connection and appreciation for our grandpa- uh, our grandfathers. And the more we shared stories, the more things overlapped, and uh, we just immediately create you know created this tremendous friendship, and um, and talked about you know wouldn't it be cool to retrace their steps? I mean, it talked about you know, is the shop still there? Yeah. Yeah. The shop's still there. Well, you know, we should meet up there sometime. And then it was, well, why don't we, you know, they always talked about Winchester. Why don't we, why don't we take a ride to Winchester or, or up to Langhorn or something like that. And that became exploring whether the Winchester Speedway was even still there or could we find right. it and then yeah. finding it's still there. And, uh, so we decided to pull together a ride. And the really cool part was, uh, both of our sons ride and, um, uh, are into it. And so here you had the great grandsons uh, joining in on the ride. And so that's what we decided to do is we we retraced the steps and we're chasing Gene and Washi uh, from the old Indian agency in in uh, near Uniontown uh, down to the Winchester Speedway in Winchester, Virginia.
0: Well, one of the it's a it's a great story. It resonated with a lot of our readers and I've got quite a bit of feedback about it. But one of the things I loved about it is the visual component is you had a photographer with you. Yeah. to capture, you know, you and Ron and your son Parker. And I don't know what Ron's son's name is. I don't recall his Even, name. But, mm-hmm. but uh, the, you guys, so you and the bikes and the places that you visited. So you had some contemporary photos of what the Winchester Speedway is like. You went to the cemetery where uh, where one or both of your grandfathers were buried. Yeah, they're both there. Mm-hmm. To some of these sites along the way on these. But we also, you had, you were able to um, use some archival photo, photos of, you know your grandfather and Washi, and you know their buddies at races at some of these locations, and so you can kind of it's like this then and now sort of thing, which yeah. it just adds a whole other uh, level to it. So I, you know, definitely encourage people if they can look up that issue, February twenty twenty two issue. uh You know, the feature chasing Gene and Washi. It's it's really one of the uh, you know better ones we've done in a long time. So kudos well, well, to thanks. you. Yeah. So. Well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It was really cool to be able to have those photos. And, you know, as you were saying that, I'm just realizing, where did I find those photos? Some of them, I you know, were in boxes and everything, but I just realized how many of those, especially the old racing shots and yeah. some of the old ride shots, they used to be tucked into the, in between the glass and the wood of the old showcase in the, ah, in the, yeah, uh, yeah. In the shop. So I remember seeing those pictures, you know, from the time I was a wee little kid, at least some right. of them. Right, uh, that right. were featured in the story. So it was really cool to have, uh, to kind of reenact it to some degree. Um, you know, and like I told you, it's like, just like you we were talking about the covers. is like, you see a picture, you see these photos and say, oh man, that just looks like so much fun what these guys are doing. And so that's what we did.
0: Very cool. Uh, one thing you may or may not be aware of. So we have a, our, our companion or sister publication uh, at EPG. It used to be called Thunder Press. So we just, mm-hmm. they just recently changed the title to American Rider. And the Mm -hmm. editor is, uh, uh, for the past year or so, has been Kevin Duke. And he, since the magazine focuses on American motorcycles, so that's obviously going to be Harley Davidson's and Indians and so forth. But he's been working with uh, two of his regular contributors, TJ Rafferty and uh, Kip Woodring. And Mm -hmm. he has these, what are called kind of the obscurity files, each issue. And then uh, the companion to that is Making Their Mark. And it's about, you know, basically the early American motorcycle, you know, because there were... Several hundred motorcycle manufacturers in the you know first half of the 20th century, uh, you mm-hmm. know, definitely in the first, in the 1910s, 20s, and 30s, and so, um, you know, doing in-depth stuff about Crocker and Excelsior and Flying Merkel and um, uh, Cyclone and so forth. So, yep. it, again, it's just like just as you have this rich personal history, and your grandfather was involved in racing in the early days of Indian it's really great to see that what Kevin's doing with his contributors to really document a lot of this stuff and have it be in this magazine, because at some point I think it would make a great book to have these, you know, there's always a companion of the obscurity files and the making their mark these two different approaches about it's the, it's the innovators, the racers, the, uh, the engineers, you know, the the rise and fall of some of these companies that came and went. And it's, uh, it's interesting because, you know, we take for granted, mm-hmm the manufacturers we have today in many ways. You know, there's Honda, there's Harley-Davidson, you know, there's India and so forth, but um, kind of wh- what the roots of motorcycling is, at least in this country in particular, so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no doubt about that. That's that's fantastic.
0: So uh, you said that you and Parker uh, were on this uh, ride together for Chase Gene and Washi. So last summer in the August issue, you had a, uh, a feature called Parker discovers America. And so mm-hmm. that was about a cross country trip you did with Parker when he was 18. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that came about.
1: Uh, that was uh, I, I remember distinctly how that whole thing started. And I never did think it would materialize, by the way. Uh, that was he was 13. Yeah. So it was five years earlier. He was 13. And hanging out with me in the garage, as he often did, um, which was always cool to me. Uh, <laughs> in fact, one of my favorite memories of Parker from when he was a little kid. And I just think it's so, it's really great when you can get your kids exposed to, you know, just as I was, get them exposed to motorcycling and see what it's all about and build their passion for it. But uh, Parker always had an interest in motorcycles. In fact, I remember when he was about, oh, probably, he, he was probably four years old. And he was watching me work on an old motorcycle and I was having trouble with something. And of course, doing my, oh, come on, what do you, you know, and I'm struggling with something with a carburetor uh, on the bike or trying to fit something. And he's saying, well, dad, what if, what if you just, it's like, I'd look at him, you know, Parker. (laughs) really, I I know what I'm doing here. And I go a little bit further and he's, well, dad, I'm just thinking if you, uh, Parker, really? Okay. I'm good. I'm good. Just give me a second. And of course this went on for a little bit. And finally I said, what Parker, what? Well, if you just take this and you flip that, up, Parker, you can't do. Wait a minute, what? You know, and sure enough, his, <laughs> his, his little little uncluttered mind had it all figured out, and, and uh, um, it was a quick fix. And I should have listened to him in the first place, which I've kind of learned now uh, that I tend to turn to him sometimes uh, for some of the answers. But anyway, for starting this trip, it was uh, once again in the garage. I was working on an old BMW uh, that I had at the time, and. Um, I said, you know what, Parker, I said, it just dawned on me that I rode a bike just like this one across the country. I said, it's been 20 years. I said, I should do a 20 year anniversary ride. It would be really kind of fun to do that. And he said, we'll wait five years and make it 25th and I'll go with you. Meaning on his own bike. Sure. And I said, man, that's a great idea. I love this. And uh, so we were both all excited about it. And then as time went on, I thought, oh, He's going to be, you know, he was so active in so many different activities and dating and all that stuff. I thought, okay, he's going to lose interest in this. And we'd touch base. We'd talk about it periodically. And, like, and every time he's like, no, I'm all in. And yeah. so what we did is we spent really five years casually planning what would our ride be like? And we decided I had introduced him to a book that really inspired me in many ways uh, that I really liked. And it's not a motorcyclist book, it's, uh, but it's a traveling book called Blue Highways and um fantastic and that, yeah and i just it's all about riding or, or dr- traveling uh the old federal highways the the old two lanes and uh so that's what we wanted to do and that was the idea was to immerse him into small town america let him see cuz i had been exposed to a lot of that and i said i really want him to see some of this stuff and experience it and that's also my preferred way of traveling i'm not much of an interstate uh, rider. It's just not my thing. Right. Right. And, and it's a completely different experience when you can take the old, uh, old two lanes and actually go through towns. And, uh, so that's what we did and wound up doing a big loop, um, kind of across the center of the country. Well, yeah, just wound up working our way over to ultimately to San Diego where, um, uh, where the girls met us and, uh, we stopped for a couple of days and then we rode up the California coast. Uh, my brother got to join us for part of that cause he lives in LA. So he rode with us, uh, a good ways North. And then, um, then we came across, uh, through, uh, Nevada and, um, uh, worked our way back across I and mean, just really such a great mix of, of, uh, you know, it was just really cool to see a young man just absolutely fall in love with this country and, and, and with small town America and, and knowing that when somebody, when you're passing somebody walking down the street and they say, Hey, good morning, how are you? And they pause. It's like, Oh no, they actually want to know Parker. Let's, let's take it. You know, it's like, we can take a break and actually talk to somebody for, for a change. And that was uh, really a neat, neat, neat experience. So in addition to the riding, it's just what you encounter and the culture and everything else is what makes it so great.
0: I mean, you know, not only what you see in terms of the vistas and the roads, but yeah, I mean, you stop in small cafes, you're at yep. gas stations where it's local folks. I mean, um, yeah, and, I mean, that was a number of years ago when you did that trip. I don't know how pa- yeah. old Parker is now, but it, he was 18 at the time. When did, when did you take that trip?
1: Yeah, we that was, uh, yeah, yeah, he was 18 and Parker's hmm, older now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, but I'm the same age, you know, uh, so he's catching up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, like it's interesting that you say that because, I mean, a a great thing about that story. And I'll include links to both um, Chase and Gene and Washi and Parker Discovers America in the show notes because we've got online versions of those stories. But, you know, there's a sidebar to Parker Discovers America where he basically Mm -hmm. kind of reflects on what it was like to be an 18 year old and to ride with his dad. And maybe that's not what a lot of 18 year olds want to do is go take a trip with their father. But it was, I mean, it sounds like it was a really transformative uh, journey for both of you. It was a bonding experience. You guys dealt with heat and rain and all kinds of weather and you did some camping and and- with each
1: other. Yeah. <laughs> we dealt with, That was either going to be a really great experience or it had all <laughs> the potential to be really terrible. But uh, yeah. fortunately it was fantastic.
0: And you guys have done a number of, I mean, you guys do a number of big trips in the year since. I mean, you kind of set the pattern that you guys have been able to repeat for years. And that's got to be a really special thing for you.
1: It is. Once again, that, that I think that triggered, I mean, he had traveled with me, um, riding pillion, riding with me as a co-rider, um, when he was younger, obviously before he got his license, but, um, so he fell in love with travel and that trip just sealed it. And, um, we have done cross country trips since then on different motorcycles and we're currently planning something else. You know, we're not exactly sure what it's going to be. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he and his wife, uh, they both ride and, uh, they, they, you know, they, they love to travel themselves too, which is great. And, uh, it's, it's just really a a fun thing and I look forward to it. And in fact, we both get to the point of we say, Hey, it's been too long since we've we've taken a uh, taken an epic ride that we right. need to do something.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm sure that I commend you for making you know, making that trip happen that Parker sucked through it. Cause like when I was 14, my father and I, uh, you know, my parents had divorced. I was living in Atlanta, <laughs> he was living down in Florida, he had an old van, and we basically took, I think it was three or four weeks and we drove up the eastern seaboard. And I was into mountain biking at the time. So we had a couple of bikes. And so we, we avoided big cities for the most part. And we just we slept in the van and and I just basically saw parts of the country I'd never seen before. And it was this great trip. And we would, you know, park the van out uh, on some overlook and sit there and and watch the sun go down or something. It was a, a great trip. And then years later, uh, I was living with my father in Florida when I was a senior in high school and I was getting kind of was like, man, I don't really want to know if I want to go to college yet. And we were talking mm-hmm. about doing a cross country trip where we do like, Hey, we did that for three or four weeks and we just went up the East coast, but let's take a year and just, you know, live out of a van and go, I mean, this is definitely before hashtag van life. And <laughs> right. we had this great idea to do this trip. And then honestly, once I, 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 I didn't do what Parker did. I, I, once I graduated from high school, I think I just had other priorities. I got kind of chicken because we didn't really have any money. It was definitely going to be a shoestring kind of trip. yeah. And I Mm -hmm. just chickened out. And that's one of those things, like, you know, if you have regrets in life, it's it's often about the things that you didn't do. It's not really Mm -hmm. the things that you did do, like an opportunity that was missed, you know, because just it was a a bonding experience with you and Parker and that three-week trip I did with my dad. I've even got a travel journal from back then. I know Parker kept a journal about his trip. But I was like, what would it have been like to have? And I went on to college, just you know, right after high school, and did all those things. I was like, but just like you know, some people that go uh, backpacking around Europe for a summer a year, it's like college is not going anywhere. You can always go back, and so that's one of those things I regret. So yeah, but
1: yeah, well, yeah, I remember it was, uh, and a lot of times work got in the way for me with some of the some of the things too. And I I remember a friend of mine saying really (laughs) saying something very poignant, and that was he said, you know, he said. I don't remember any one of those things that was so important at work that required all this, you know, time and, and making, you know, and missing out on some of the trips that I'd planned and things like that. But I can tell you every trip that I missed, you know, or every experience that I missed. And, and I just, I I took that to heart and just said, okay, you gotta, you gotta make the time uh, in any way that you can. You're certainly making up for it. Um, And, you know, and I'm trying to do the same thing too, but it happens to all of us, no matter what we do and no much, how much, you know, wanderlust you have or anything like that, you still wind up saying, well, you know, the responsibilities are there and the whole bit. So, um, you know, it's striking that balance because those things are just so rewarding and refueling and, right. uh, you know, you grow with every one of those things. Those, those are the things that I remember most. Uh, and I just feel really fortunate that I've got um, family members who enjoy doing it too and sharing it.
0: Sure, You know, like sure. I know
1: you just, you know, you just uh, did a big trip, you know, with your wife and it's such a great way to spend time together.
0: Absolutely, yeah, you know, and it's interesting is with travels is that sometimes it's, you know, uncomfortable. It's like, you know, like we were traveling by motorcycle and we had a heat wave in Greece and and we got rained on and we were on some challenging roads, but it's sort of like, you know, in the moment, sometimes you may be a little bit inconvenienced or uncomfortable or a little bit unsure, especially being in foreign countries. It's like, you may be a little bit un, unsure, mm-hmm. like in Greece, road signs are in Greek. (laughs) It's all Greek. (laughs) And that's a pretty inscrutable, you know, alphabet, you know? And so, um, but, you know, at the same time, it's, it becomes one of those things where then around the dinner table, we were with a group and you're having some beers and you're talking about the day and you're having laughs about the challenges about, you know, oh, you know, all those goat herds we had, you know, herds of goats we had to ride through on this, you know, rural road or something like that. So those are the sorts of things that also break us out of our routine of, uh, yeah, Americans are great at being very hard product, hardworking, productive people, we're typically very bad at taking vacations. I mean, you know, it's just uh, compared to other countries that have a much more, like, you know, it's, culturally ingrained to take a month off every summer and Americans like if sometimes you have two weeks of vacation some people don't take those two weeks and now I work for a company where they give us unlimited vacation which means that most people take even less than they used to when they <laughs> try to it.
1: In that it like once yeah. you have it
0: it's like oh if I kind like, of use it or lose it now I don't I, so it's like it 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 yep. really is important for people to make the time for like whether it's a motorcycle trip or a family trip or a vacation yeah. or to do something to not only reward yourself for your hard work, but to break yourself out of this, the the rat race that everybody always talks about.
1: Yep. I uh, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Couldn't agree more.
0: So uh, I want to talk to you about what you've got in your garage. I know you've got some new acquisitions. You've also got some bikes you've had all around for a long time. You're like, let's, you're talking about Gene. I know you have <laughs> one of his original uh, Indian motorcycles. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. You know, and that's something I'm so glad that never went away. Um, this is an interesting story. Well, of course, you just never say this is going to be interesting because it couldn't be interesting. You know, every possibility <laughs> it won't be interesting at all. Um, in the corner of the shop, from the time you know, the, as far back as I can remember, there was an orange or the color is tangerine Indian chief that sat in the back in the corner, and it was always chained to to um, you know so that it couldn't be stolen or anything like that. But sat in the dark corners, and um, It was always something that I would kind of gravitate toward, and uh, then I started when I was old enough. I started to ask more about it, and um, my grandfather had been, like I said, very loyal to Indian. He established over the years. uh, I mean, Pennsylvania is not that far from from um, the the factory in Springfield, Massachusetts, so he would drive up there on a fairly regular basis. Sometimes just to pick up motorcycles, and while he you know, in to do service schools and all that sort of thing. He developed a very good relationship. In fact, a really strong relationship with, um, uh, with folks up there at the Indian factory, in particular, the head of engineering, which was an older guy named Earl Pop Armstrong. And it was, it was almost like, I mean, Pop was old enough to really be, it was pretty close, I think, to being old enough to be my grandfather's dad, you know, so just you an age reference. And they just really had a fondness for each other and, and um, developed a relationship over time. And then, through the years, um, when Indian was going out of biz, out of production, you know, stopping seizing production of the American motorcycles, they went on to carry the name. They were bought by a company called Brockhouse out of England, and which distributed British motorcycles uh, primarily. And uh, so they were rebadging Royal Enfields, for instance, as, as Indians. Those were the Indian Enfields. But the last of the American Indians were built in 1953. When that was happening, when all of that production was shutting down, my grandfather got a call and they said, Gene, and this story was consistent through all the years. And you have to keep in mind back then, Indians weren't worth anything. They were a motorcycle that was out of business. Uh, And, and they, you know, so the story always was very, very consistent. They said, he said, uh, they called and they said, Gene, we have enough parts to build about 10 more bikes. Uh, They had just run a, uh, did a run of, I think it was 50 police motorcycles and So they had parts built and they said, you can't really make any choices. He said, here's the color it's going to be. and <laughs> we're, we're out of Chrome handlebars. Uh, it's going to have a lot of the police uh, components because that's what they had. Uh, so it had a police generator on it. It had a um, the the police style carburetor, which by that point, Indians had um, British amyl carburetors on them and stuff. And so there were some things on it that, were, that are quite a bit unusual. And uh, that bike... Then, um, and, and the, what's really cool about that is at the same time, he was also offered a, from the engineering department, uh, the story was that uh, they said, well, Gene, if, if that bike stops running for any reason, what are you, what are you going to do? And he says, well, I guess I'll push it. And he said, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, here's something we're going to send to you. And they sent him uh, another engine for it that had been in the engineering department where they had kind of been hopping it up and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so that was never started and was on a crate. I used to turn it over by hand with a special tool uh, that was made for that. And uh, that unfortunately disappeared a few years ago. It was sold, somebody talked to my grandfather into to selling it. Um, but uh, the bike itself uh, has stayed in the family And still has less than 3,000 original miles on it. It still has the original tires on it. It's exactly the way it was when I was a little kid. And the neat part is I've got photos of that back into the uh, mid-50s. Yeah. Uh, and all through the years. And it's just a neat thing to have. And it's got such a great story. And, you know, I've had some people look at it and say, well, that's not an original 53 because it doesn't have this or that or whatever. And it's like, well, I don't care. This is what it, this <laughs> yeah. Is, what it is, yeah. Uh, whether you believe it or not. And so it, that's been a real gem and more to me. That's just, that's the bike that I climbed on. It's the bike that I was allowed to start. It was always when you can kick it through, we'll start it up. Right. And so, you know, that was, that was something I think by the time I was 12 or 13, we were able to finally start it up. Right. Um,
0: Exactly. I mean to have a motorcycle that's a family heirloom like that and that much sentimental value is 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 a is a real rarity. So that's, that's I can see how special that would be. And like I said, it's not about is it a you know is it a 100 point you know perfect collector's item. It's about you know what it represented to your grandfather and his legacy and to your family. I mean that, that uh, yeah that's what that, it is. That's so cool. That is so cool.
1: Exactly what it is. And what the neat thing was is after it had been you know at least 10 years since we've had it running because we actually had it in the house uh, for a while. And, um, last year, uh, Parker and I took it out and I said, Hey, it's time we start this thing. So, um, as, as it was always the case and the same, it was when I was a little kid is just go through, give it the prep, put the, put the battery in and, you know, and, and, uh, it started second kick,
0: nice. uh,
1: after all those years. And that's like, well, as my grandfather would say, well, that's an Indian.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's awesome <laughs> so uh so that you've had in your garage for a long time uh, what else I know you've got to re- we'll get to the, your latest acquisition you okay. wrote about it in your your July uh column but so what else do you have is like your sure. you, whether your daily riders or something like sure. that I know you've sure. got to I'll, I'll run through
1: the list real yeah. quick there's uh so along with the 53 chief there is a, a 1950 chief that I had restored many uh several years ago that one's more the one that I ride periodically. Sure. Uh, I have a 2019 Indian FTR 1200. Uh, that's the flat track replica. Very cool. Um, uh, 2018 Harley Heritage 114. Both of those are, are in the story, uh, Chasing Gene and Washi. Um, I have uh, the bike that I used for all the training and, and really the main motorcycle, and especially if I'm going to go to riding somewhere, is a Yamaha Super Tenere, okay. which has just been my tr- kind of trusty steed. Sure. Um, Then we get into some of the older stuff and I uh, not real old, but it's just, you know, uh, I have a 74 BMW R75 that's identical to the one that I had back in college and rode across the country. And the cool thing about that, Greg, is after all these years getting one of these again, uh, they're quirky motorcycles. And yet, because I put so many miles on that one and lived with it for so long, it's, it's like picking up right where I left off. It's like, okay, reach down to for the choke under behind my, behind my knee. And I knew right. I didn't have to look it's right there. Right. And, right. and where the, where all the controls and everything, the way they work is just, it was just uh, muscle memory uh, that came right back. And that bike, at, you know, by today's standards has crappy brakes and not much power <laughs> and, uh, but puts a smile on my face like uh, like nothing else. Right. Um, and, and and that had been originally that the, the original one that I had had been my dad's. And that was my introduction to BMW motorcycles, which I rode for years and years. Um, I have a 75 Yamaha XS650 that had been my son's that he was going to sell. And I said, well, I'll snag that from you because that's a fun, fun little bike. That's and it's a little nice shape. And I've been, uh, my latest thing has been picking up vintage Hondas. Uh, so uh, some nice examples, if I find a nice example at a good price, you know, I've got uh, in over the past um couple years i picked up a 67 honda dream uh that's a 305 um i we have a 64 honda super hawk that is actually parker's bike that he's restored um a (laughs) i have a a, an unusual honda i guess they were really popular around the the world but not so much here but a cd 175 uh that has 300 original miles and uh, there's um and and the latest thing has been uh, a little 71 Honda Trail 90, which, uh, you know, it's tiny. And yet that's another one where running it around the yard, I'm just having, I guess I'm in this flashback mode where it's just, I'm trying to, I don't know whether it's trying to relive something or what, or just re-enjoy some stuff right. that I experienced in the past. And that little tra- Trail 90 is an absolute hoot.
0: Well, um, I mean, if you if you've been acquiring some old Hondas, then you know what the values of some of these old, you know. Honda 7, you know, trail 70s and 90s and stuff. It's like, you know, even kind of basket case looking ones are fetching a a fair price because those are the motorcycles that people connect to their youth. It's how they learn to ride. They used to do what you did. They rode around the yard. They rode with neighborhood kids. They did whatever. And so you know, that, you know, they get to, we get to a certain age, uh, you know, as, as people, and it's like, you want to reconnect with, you know, there's favorite songs from your youth that you want to listen to. And there's, you know, favorite books. You're talking about Blue Highways. I read that when I was in high school. That's a, yeah. that was a seminal book that like my wanderlust that I still have to this day, I can trace back to certain books and experiences that I had that ride in the, you know, that trip in the van with my dad for a few weeks, reading books like Blue Highways. And so, yeah. So for you to have a motorcycle that, you know, you can connect with, you know, the, you know, then you talk about that in your, in your column and the July issue. It's like what it was like to sort of refamiliarize yourself with something that you spent hours and hours and hours oh, yeah. doing and riding when you were a kid. That's, that's yeah. Cool.
1: The hardest part is not making the sounds with my mouth. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. That's cool. So, wow. You've, you're, you've been, so you got, you got quite a few carburetors to clean and batteries to keep charged up and stuff. So yep. um, yeah. That's and the a- whole,
1: yeah. And that whole thing, which uh, as you know, too, I picked up a, um, uh, I'm always trying to, there's always, I'm always looking for the new experience. So yeah. the, uh, uh, the unusual thing that, uh, has been the, um, uh, a 2020 Royal Enfield, um, 650 interceptor with a, uh, with a cozy sidecar.
0: Yeah. And so you still
1: uh, have a sidecar. You do. Yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of people expected that to come on. <laughs> uh, and I will tell you that all of my years of training and, and, uh, uh, right you know all the experience and everything else did not prepare me for that outfit and nothing uh, does (laughs) it's 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 not a trike no it is not a motorcycle it's not a car it is its own unique beast uh with its own very unique handling characteristics and uh um once you figure out how they actually or why they do what they do and how you can actually control them they're fun yeah Uh, yeah but without knowing that uh you can get yourself in a as I, I did, I, I ran you, it off. I hate to admit it, but yeah, I ran it right off the road. So
0: yeah, I I only we tested a Ural gear up a couple. I don't know, five or mm-hmm. six years ago, and 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 Tuttle did the the main test, and it has got quite a bit of sidecar experience and really liked it. He likes kind of older quirky bikes anyway. But yeah, but mm-hmm. I I rode it home, and I just I didn't spend enough time with it to master it, and I was like, this thing is like, does not make sense to me. Like, you know, right. it's just like braking and accelerating and so forth. And I took my wife Carrie in it and she was like, you know, she likes roller coasters and things like that. But yeah. she, like, that was the funnest, scariest ride I've ever had because <laughs> not that I was like flying a car trying to scare her but it's just, yeah. it's it's weird dynamics. And I was trying oh, to be as smooth and gentle as I could. But yeah, so it, it requires patience and, and effort to master something like a sidecar. So people that have them, love them um, people that, uh, don't, I'm, I'm still, I'm kind of on the fence. I just, so
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, I will say, I mean, it's, it, it's, something that I find myself now that I'm comfortable with it and I know what it does. Um, you just have to be real careful about entering a right hand turn slowly, but, right, um, right. the, uh, you know, it's today, um, I went to, uh, you know, needed to go pick up uh, takeout food, uh, for lunch here for Amy and I, and, uh, it was like, you know, that rig is perfect. I'll just uh, throw the stuff in the sidecar. And so, you know, anytime I've picked up fertilizer with it, I do all kinds of little errands with it. So it's a, it's fun from that standpoint. And it's such a novelty um, and certainly gets attention. So that's always fun to talk to people about it.
0: Yeah, Justin Dawes, who works for uh, Cycle World, has uh, had a Ural a sidecar that he puts his dog in all the time, mm-hmm. and, and he's got one of his two children. He loves to take it in the dirt, and, and the dog. It's one of those things where he's got the kind of dog. He has the doggles and so forth. Is like it, the dog jumps into the the car before he gets to the motor. Like he just like the dog wow. wants to go for a ride, and so he has a lot of fun. And yeah, the novelty value of of being able to you know take your dog out for A ride or 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 a companion or something like that i'm sure is 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 a lot of fun because it's just a different experience it's like having a top down on a little old sports car or something it's just it's its its own sort of experience so
1: yeah yep so no question
0: well hey uh anything else you want to talk about i've been eating up a fair amount of your time Uh, we can always do another episode but uh you know uh anything else you want to plug or talk about like i said you you know People that read the magazine obviously love your writing. Those that listen to the to the podcast and haven't read your stuff uh, definitely should uh, uh, pick up the magazine and read some of Eric's stuff. So,
1: well, thanks, I, I appreciate that. Hey, the one thing, that what does come up every once in a while is folk, folks do ask about um, the stay and safe training program, and yeah. uh, all I wanted to really uh, mention real quickly on that is um, the pandemic kind of led to us stopping um, the tours and. Uh, you know, an odd, unexpected thing happened uh, during that time, and that was I discovered, I rediscovered the joys of actually getting out and riding for pleasure. <laughs> uh, and uh, so it's been it's been a little tough for me to get back into that. And we've been looking at uh, other forms for staying safe as well. Uh, but what I do want to encourage people to do is check out Moto Mark One, the number one. Uh, they are certified to run the Stay and Safe method. They are doing tours in the East uh and looking at some additional tours uh uh, starting to head head into some of the western states and everything too so motomark1.com yeah motomark1.com is a great way to check out the stay and safe tours if that's what folks are interested in of course people are always welcome to uh, contact me with any questions or anything like that always happy to to help out fellow riders
0: cool well and we'll include links to motomark one and your website uh show notes and so forth so Hey, Eric, I, we don't talk often enough. I enjoy every conversation I have with you. Likewise. Uh, so I, like I said, too often we're just exchanging emails, which is, is, you know, uh, so uh, let's do this again. Let's have another conversation. I, you know, t- tell some more stories. Uh, I love it. So thanks for coming on the show. It's, it's great.
1: Thanks for having me, Greg. It's great to see you. Be awesome. Well.
0: For the writer magazine insider podcast. I'm Greg Drevenstead. Thanks for listening and keep the rubber side down. If you've enjoyed listening to the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating, and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit writermagazine.com, where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Writer Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.